0: Okay. It is Wednesday, the 15th of November. For some of you, that's payday. Uh, This is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm the host of this podcast. We'll go for about 85 minutes today or so uh, talking about the latest and greatest in the world of mixed martial arts and then occasionally other topics just here or there. Best place to get your questions in is going to be on MMAfighting.com where this window is embedded. But if you're watching on YouTube right now and why wouldn't you be uh give this video a thumbs up and then subscribe to mma fighting below uh appreciate when you guys do that uh topics for today well whatever you really want but i'm imagining it's going to be something about uh connor and bellator and mark goddard i'm imagining it's going to be nate diaz rumored to be fighting tyron woodley at ufc 219. i'm imagining things like that will probably be uh at the top of the order but whatever you want really this is your podcast as much as it is mine in that sense so uh, get those questions, comments, bitches, gripes, and smart-ass remarks, and, and I'll get to them as much as I can. I am on Twitter as well at LThomasNews, the letter L. And then if you tweet me and use the hashtag chat wrappers at the end of the podcast, by well, the last 15 minutes, I'll get to those tweets. So there we go. That is the structure. Um, one bit of housekeeping notes. So I had mentioned before vacation that when I was done with all of that, and everything was set anew, we would explore some new t-shirt possibilities. Well, that is where we are. So I have an email address, lukethomasnews at gmail.com. Send me an email. Um, Let me know what you're looking for. What I'm thinking is uh, a Barbas t-shirt and some other designs, but let me know your preference and... Uh, whether you, whether you were able to buy the first one or not, just sort of give me a sense about your customer, uh, experience or lack thereof, and we'll start getting that ball rolling. And I want to, I mean, I can't make any promises. You know how it is. It takes me forever to get this stuff out, but I eventually get to it. Um, and we'll hopefully get that in by the Christmas season, but if not first quarter 2018, okay, there we are off and running. Let's get to these. looks like a lot of questions today that are a lot of banter among y'all uh bisping's cup break did you get uh, to ask bisping about the cup break and if it affected him during the fight i have reached out i have not heard back yet but yes i have officially made an inquiry it was a little weird asking about it uh let's see what he says has not re- let me see i can go check right now see if he responded. no not yet not yet but uh when he does I'll let you guys know. So if you follow me on Twitter, as soon as he gets a response up, I won't wait until the next week unless he does it next Wednesday. But if he gets to me before then, then I'll just put it up on Twitter and let you guys know what he had to say. Appreciate that, though. Uh, Okay. Nate Diaz training for Tyron Woodley. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Nate Diaz potentially fighting Tyron Woodley? Nate never got far at 170, and I can't imagine someone like Woodley would do much less than embarrass him. Yeah, so let's get to this one. This is a really crazy one that was sort of um, came into, I think, larger awareness. Let me put this off uh, last night or so. Wow. Uh, desperate times go for de- desperate measures. You know, uh, UFC has a main event, UFC 219, which is in about six weeks, and they have, or they have an event, but they have no main event for that. I mean, that must be. You know, even if they put this together, how is this going to sell? I don't know. Um, So let's sort of figure this out from the various players involved here. If you're Nate, why would you take this fight? Well, first of all, let's backtrack and look at his record. At welterweight in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, he is 3-3. and He has wins over Rory Markham, Marcus Davis, and Conor McGregor at 170. At 170, he's also got losses to Dong Hyun Kim, Conor McGregor, and... Uh, Rory McDonald. Now, in examining that, what do you notice? Number one, um, hard to know what to make of the McGregor at 170 fights insofar as what it says about him at that weight class. I know everyone thought he was huge for it. All of a sudden, Tyron Woodley comes around and everyone's like, he's way too small. I've been telling y'all, he is big enough to fight at welterweight, not really to succeed at welterweight in any kind of sustained way, um, but it's more suited for lightweight. I don't know why this was a debate. I don't know how this came to be He's got a very long frame, and I think that kind of confuses people. He is not big, or he's not that huge, anyway. Um, he is he is much more suited for lightweight, and um, should have no problems making it. I know many, 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 many uh, lightweights significantly bigger than him who have never missed weight. So that's just the first thing. But he is big enough to compete at welterweight and do okay. The thing with about that is though, the McGregor losses are and wins are a bit of a wash. Number one. Number two, that just leaves you with, uh, on the loss end, it leaves you with Dong Kong Kim, and it leaves you with Rory McDonald. On the win, it leaves you with Markham and Davis. You know, there's a bit of a different skill there, obviously. Dong Kong Kim and Rory McDonald aren't merely newer fighters, but they are better versions of the welterweights than Marcus Davis and Rory Markham ever were. So, you know, I think what you could say is, could he compete at welterweight and probably do okay? Yeah, he's a 500 fighter at, at welterweight, and that might decline a little bit, it might go up a little bit. But... That's more or less where he stands in that division. Um, But I wouldn't recommend a prolonged push there. That, to me, would not go well. And I think the more he fought upper-tier welterweights, the more it would probably put L's on his record. Again, he can win there, but that's not where he's suited to be. So there's that. The second part is, when you look at this, why would Nate Diaz take this fight? If, If, in fact, he is taking it. Why would he take this fight? Well... In thinking about it, if you're Nate Diaz, do you really want to be in a position where the only way you can get monetized is if you fight McGregor? I don't think you want to do that. Or at least you don't want to... You just don't want to hitch your wagon to one guy, to one rivalry. Because maybe that fight will happen, maybe it won't. It probably will. But even then, when is that going to happen? If you're Nate Diaz, you got a precious few years to make fights. And while the, while the McGregor one is certainly has been a tremendous boon to his career, and you can understand why he would want to be selective about taking fights, you, you just don't want to have your business be a function of Conor McGregor's schedule or willingness. That, that seems to me a little bit too narrow of a scope. And if you've ever listened to Nate Diaz, you know, he's been fairly consistent. It's not that he's ever ducked guys. I mean, he fights the toughest of the tough. It's just that he just wants to get paid to do it. It looks like if you're nate diaz number one you don't want to be hitched to conor mcgregor and number two if the ufc is in a bind and they're willing to pay you to fight tyrone woodley at welterweight for a title shot and presumably you'd be making more money for this either from a flat fee that they would raise for this contest or whatever the case may be you know you would want to take that you you kill two birds with one stone you get the money you're looking for more or less uh and you're not hitched to conor mcgregor through that so that's his perspective. If you're Tyron Woodley, this is a no-brainer. You get to get another fight in this year. Um, let's be real about it. In terms of popularity, Nate is the a side there. Um, I don't know by a dramatic degree, but he's definitely the more popular attraction of the two. So if you're Tyron Woodley now, you get to fight somebody more popular. I would favor Tyron Woodley to win that contest. Just speaking realistically, you never know, of course, but um, that that I don't think is a crazy presumption. And and uh and yeah you get to be on you get to save the day for the UFC like there's a lot of reasons why you would want to take that fight and if you're the UFC what are you supposed to do (laughs) I mean um they couldn't make the Cyborg home fight for whatever reason and Connor now has this whole issue with the Bellator Mike Bazooli you know he was on 219 he was off 219. it just looks like that 219 ship has sailed John Jones has no issues. By the way, I reached out to Howard Jacobs to speak about it, his attorney, uh, who has worked with him and many, many, many athletes who have been um, who had fought against anti-doping authorities. Uh, he does not have anything to tell me right now, but we're gonna we're gonna have to keep checking in on him. So Jones is out of the picture. Kane, God, no one knows what happened. I mean, there's no one really else. I mean, I guess there was Stepe, but I don't know what the issue is with him either. So I don't really know. Um, what other option i'm not saying this was the only choice but they clearly were running out they're clearly are running out of time tickets are supposed to go on sale in two days they're going to be pushed back as a consequence so how is this even going to sell anyway i mean look they're desperate they're desperate there's really no way to put this they're desperate they need to find something they've got to pull a rabbit out of the hat and they have very little options at this point now you can ask yourself a greater question here is what happened to the UFC that they found themselves in this bind? This is what I talked about when I came back from Colombia back in March or May or something, whenever that was. Um, and this was during I think Nate had gone on with, on the MMA Hour with Ariel, and you know he had done uh, he had talked a lot. And one of the things that occurred to me was when there's fighter malaise, it doesn't just bring down morale, right? Everyone is like, I'm you know I'm not as hot on MMA as I was, or you know UFC or this guy or that guy or that fight it makes fighters less willing to compete. I mean, part of what makes this machine work is that fighters take fights on a relatively routine schedule so that the machine just turns as it's supposed to. And when guys don't want to take it, and in some ways they can't, right? If you're injured, you just can't. But when you combine or what I would call as a fairly significant injury problem with a malaise problem, uh, guys wanting more money, guys wanting bigger contracts. Um, you know, cyborg can't get a fight with somebody because who knows? UFC's not paying him enough money or, you know, whatever the situation is. Um, it just brings down everything. It, it slows everything to a grind and it makes matchmaking that much harder. I mean, think about how many fighters are out there who are just desperate to get to the UFC. And then think about the guys at the top tier of the UFC and they're desperate to hold out. And there's this total contrast now um, about that happening. And so you would think, wow, this is the top tier organization. This is as big as it gets. You would think they would have a never-ending stream of people willing to headline. And to some extent they could. They could, it's not like they can't put a fight on there and just elevate it to the main event. But the main event kind of fighters just don't want to do it under the terms they've been doing it. And this this is what I mean, man. This is what I mean when I said they need some kind of collective resolution. They need a new, they need a new binding agreement. And whether that's a official one or the, whether that's an understood one, um, they don't have it. And until the UFC and its fighters are on some kind of similar wavelength about what each of their roles are, what compensation looks like, what promotion is supposed to be, uh, whose turn it is at various intervals to do certain work or to be the recipient of attention. Until that until that broad agreement is reached, um, they have a problem. It is amazing to me. It is amazing to me. Like the UFC machine for so many years was just built on a basic... What do you want to call it? Like one of the things I really underestimated in my career early on was how much the UFC machine operated strictly on either the fighters having no leverage, which is obvious, but on top of that, and more importantly, I think just a general sense of willingness. I mean, think about how much the machine worked because fighters were just willing to do things that otherwise weren't necessarily in their interest or um, because they felt it was holding up some code of martial arts honor or that's just what fighters do, right? Think about how much, how many years they operated on that going event to event year over year just by fighters not really saying no in, in any kind of real way. Uh, just saying yes, and as soon as they start saying no, in any kind of even way, uh, the entire thing begins to slow down in in fairly dramatic ways. It's kind of shocking, actually. I mean, it's not in other words, it's not built on some kind of contractual understanding that everybody really should and must compete a certain number of times a year, or that there is some kind of contractual written into into law or regulatory order, the way in which this is going to operate month over month, day over day to, you know, like, think about the NFL. Like, even if there's lots of injuries, everything just keeps moving. Every, the whole thing just keeps moving. Um, and again, you'll see, we'll keep moving to some extent, but in terms of, in the ways in which it matters, um, it can't. And, and this is a perfect example that the entire machine was just built on guys saying yes. And when guys and ladies stop saying yes to the same extent, there was a massive problem that was immediately created. That seems to me the kind of norm you don't want to be reliant upon. If you're, if you're built on people willingly saying yes, you're going to have problems. As, as soon as there's malaise that sets in, you're going to have problems. They need to establish a new kind of partnership, a new kind of arrangement, a new kind of deal. Because if this is what our new reality is, this is not the last event that's going to be like this. This is going to be the first of many. Um, yes, everyone making Nate being Godzilla jokes these days, yes. Well, if this happens, Representative Mark Wayne Mullen is going to lose his mind. Yeah, I mean, we just had this Ali Act hearing on the Hill, and he was... Like, you know, if you're the number one fighter why aren't, or number one ranked contender, why aren't you getting the fight? Yeah, all those guys would get passed. I mean, can you imagine if you're Kamaru Usman or Darren Till? I mean, let's look at the rankings here, shall we? Here are the rankings at Welterweight. Um, let's see. Let's go up to here. Number one, Steven Thompson. He's not going to get a third fight. Uh, two is Robbie Lawler. I don't think folks would cry if that happens, but he's already booked up against RDA. Three is Colby Covington. Maybe they could go that direction. Four at Dos Anjos, but he's already snatched up. Five Maya losing, six Jorge, seven Darren Till. eight Condit, nine Cerrone, ten Ponza and Nibio. Usman on the outside at at twelve. Yeah, can you imagine if if Nate Diaz jumps all those guys? I mean, can you imagine how pissed they would be? And that's the other part about this: if they do that, and they, you know, they Nate has a reason to do it, and. Uh, Tyron has a reason to do it, and UFC has a reason to do it, but there are going to be consequences to it. All those guys down the line who either haven't lost or don't have a fight booked up are going to be like, "Yo, what?" in the mother f is going on here. And moreover, I've said it before; I'll say it again. Like, I'm—I don't work for the UFC. Like, their problems are their problems to figure out. And so, for me, it's like, do I really have a super strong interest in seeing it? Well, seeing Nate Diaz back is kind of interesting to me, but not in this fight. You know, this is not the one that you really want to. This is not the one you've been clamoring. I mean, has anyone clamored for this fight? I don't think anyone's done that. So, like, you know, I would encourage everyone to vote for the dollars. If you're happy to see Nate Diaz back, then, hey, you know, plunk down the $59.95. But if you're not, you should say so as well. Um, This is what this person writes, not me. Quote, does anybody buy McNugget's lame two-bit apology? And this is what he is writing, not me. Bro. (laughs) All caps, by the way. I was so concerned for that KO'd fighter that my teammate just beat, I just had to jump into the cage and hug my boy. Then slap that bitch Goddard. How dare we say... How dare he say the fight wasn't over. I saw a man die in the MMA. How could I not react the way I did? Yeah, so what... I mean, I'm assuming that you want to have a larger talk here about Connor's apology. I mean, look. I don't know how you guys feel. I, I find this... How do i say this exactly i don't really care about forcing people into public apologies like everyone's like after Connie's therefore do you want to apologize luke is that what you want no i don't really care i don't need you to apologize to me like I, first of all i'm not like super offended by it i'm just more more just from a you know a public decorum concern can you just not do that like the real thing is just doing it just stop doing dumb dumb shit. Is really what my view is. I don't need you to apologize to me. Like, for example, the way I look at apologies is as follows there, there, we have this weird way of examining when people who have public lives, and by that I don't mean like government officials, although you can include them as part of this, but you know, if you're enough of a celebrity, your life is partly a public matter of consumption. Whether that's good or it's bad, it's true. Conor McGregor is certainly that kind of guy. Um, and whenever someone has this public life, and they air publicly or they air privately, but it becomes public, we expect them to apologize to us. Uh, I don't know why he needs to apologize to me. He didn't. He didn't do anything to me. Now he did certain things wrong to um, Bellator or to um, Johnny Redmond or to certainly this larger order that we're trying to establish in mixed martial arts events. But that's relevant to the to the authorities involved. It's not like he didn't. He didn't like come and like you know, smeared dog crap on my doorknob of my house. He didn't, you know, he didn't slash my tires. I'm not, I don't, I don't need an apology. And moreover, this act where we treat it like we're some teacher's assistant at university and we're looking over a student's paper on, you know, free trade or phenomenology or organic chemistry and we're going through it and we're looking through it with a fine tooth comb to make sure all the arguments are coherent and it sounds like we're going through it like it's a script for a play, and we're trying to make sure that it sounds, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, contrite enough. Well, well this is stupid. This is, this is stupid, and this is a waste of our time. We are, com- we are asking figures for authenticity in action and in thought, and then we are putting them through a series of obstacles that produce none of that. You know, it's just, it's just so weird. I don't, I don't know. I don't need an apology. If he wants to apologize to Mark Goddard, cool. Mike Mazzulli, fine. Bellator, fine. Whoever. Uh, Johnny Redmond, great. The, the, they they have a bit of a different relationship with this matter, but me I don't need an apology and I don't, nor do I care to hear one. Um, it was the same thing with with uh, well, I'll get to that in just a second. but so, so so generally this weird exercise we go through, I just don't like it. It seems so so disingenuous and, and and the reality is there's no real way to tell if the person is contrite anyway. like we're grading it trying to be like, hmm, well he used the word I'm really sorry here. And then said forgive me here man he must really mean it this is this is ridiculous people who there are people in this world whose sole job it is is to convince you that someone else is sorry for if you pay them money Uh, and the very people who have access to those kinds of services are the ones who have that kind of money and who live a public life now that, that isn't to say that people who apologize can't mean it or, or may not actually in the moment. You know, you can have a look. Civilization is a learned behavior expecting people. Everyone's like, well, they're sorry they got caught. Yeah, sometimes it takes getting caught to to wake up. Um, that's part that part is true, too. So but here's the issue, because everyone is trying so hard to sound so authentic. You can't really tell who is and who isn't. And because you can buy those services, you can't really tell who is and who isn't. McGregor's apology is actually different. And though almost the exception that proves the rule. 99 times out of 100, you can't tell, except when they get the apology wrong, right? The ones who trip over themselves to get it right, you can basically not differentiate that between someone who really might be sorry or someone who paid someone to make them sound sorry. Those two are identical. The one you jack up is the one where you're apologizing to people and then you don't apologize to the people you actually really wronged, you know, throwing Mark Goddard under the bus no me gusta. He got that totally wrong. Sorry, you're, he's wrong about that. Um, you know, he did apologize to some of the other relevant authorities, but then invoking the death of Joan Carvalho. It's like, look, he remember he brought that up at UFC 200 too when he was saying, you know, there were reporters showing up to his mom's house to ask him about the death of a kid, and that really affected him. I, f- I firmly believe that that is true. I firmly believe that that is true. And he was like, I didn't get into this game to to do that. Makes sense completely. But there really is no evidence that this was like some humanitarian crisis and he was Superman coming to save the day. This is a guy who believes, at least according to his own actions and the subsequent responses to it, including the FU's all tweet, that his vision of what is happening is the more important one relative to Mark Goddard's. He still does not take Mark Goddard's authority in that cage very seriously. Uh, Certainly not as one that supersedes his authority, and he has no authority whatsoever in these matters. Look, if we were talking about a situation where we had a lax regulatory oversight and we didn't because Mike Mazzulli was there, and if we were talking about a situation where the referee was inexperienced, that might be one thing. We are talking about maybe the best referee in the game, and we are talking about this being uh, overseen by a very reputable, insofar as they come, commission. He had no business jumping over that cage. He had no business intervening. He had no business pushing Mark Goddard. He had no business slapping a bell to He had no business. All the trouble that was caused was a function of him not, not adhering to the authority of the relevant officiating crew. That's where this whole thing generates from. And I get that he cares about Charlie Ward deeply. And I get that he cares about his country and his teammates deeply. I understand all of that. John Kavanaugh was like, it's understandable. Understandable is not cover for acceptable. It's just not. It's just not um you, there has to be some kind of law and order maintained here and just believing that you have a right to be you know that well I don't like this referee's decision so I'm going to intervene we were talking about something that would have to be a unanimously viewed crises for someone to intervene and even that would be you know a, a moment to reflect upon whether or not that was eth- ethically justified just jumping in and there's no I mean did he look he was coming to save the day He looked, he was coming to celebrate his teammate and so, you know, in the end, it was like, I get that he realizes there's an examination about him that, and that, you know, having a, a better sense of decorum probably will be in his best interest. And I take that seriously. But the lack of awareness about Mark Goddard is stunning, frankly, stunning. Um, you know, and and Mark Goddard was in that explanation, trying to articulate how confusing everything like poor. Mark Goddard is trying to control this thing. He can't even hear the bell. He's trying to assess whether or not this fight should be stopped, whether the round should be stopped. And then there's people jumping in the cage and then pushing him around. I mean, Mark Goddard deserves one thing and one thing only sympathy, understanding, uh, you know, what an impossible, I mean, that job is hard enough when you can hear everything and there's no one jumping in the cage. That's how hard that job is. If you had perfect auditory, um ability and you had no one else interfering that job is still difficult now add in a ridiculous amount of crowd noise and a celebrity jumping in the cage what it's, it's a miracle nothing even worse happened it's a miracle nothing worse happened so you know again it's like the apologies i don't need a man when, the, when Cam Newton was like wow i didn't know women knew about <laughs> running routes like this was some esoteric thing literally anyone who watches football who reads beyond a fifth grade level knows that people run routes. They may not know all the routes, wheel routes, hitch routes, crawl routes, or whatever, but they know people run routes. And then he goes and does this apology and then the apology looked good. Sure. Do I have any sense that he has learned from this experience? No. All I care is if the next time a reporter asks you a question, don't be surprised that, you know, that they knew the information. That's all you got to do. I don't need you to apologize to me. And I don't need Conor McGregor to apologize to me. If you're a fan and you feel like he owes it to you, then you, can, then you can feel that. I won't really, I don't really have a strong opinion about that. But what I do need from him to understand, and what he clearly does not, is that he's not the authority here. He's not, the, he's the celebrity here. He's not the authority. That's a real big difference. And he seems to be confused about the two. Uh, okay, going to piggyback on this with another question. After the F- McGregor incident on Friday, you tweeted out, you hoped the Irish MMA media would come out and condemn his actions. I didn't see that as you criticizing them so much because I didn't criticize them. But I was amazed to see the response in your replies, the general consensus being that the Irish guys would let McGregor off easy and they wouldn't say anything bad about him. I can only assume these people have never heard or read anything that the Irish guys have done. Anyone who has followed their reactions since will know that McGregor was widely condemned by basically everyone who has any clue about the sport. The legitimate MMA journalists in the country have covered MMA well before McGregor was in the UFC and likely will continue to do so after he's gone. They're not just mouthpieces for McGregor and call things as they are, particularly in a case like this where McGregor is clearly in the wrong. Is there a perception in America or elsewhere for that matter that McGregor is above criticism in the media? Because that's certainly not the case in Ireland. In fact, many mainstream sports journalists in Ireland have a real dislike for McGregor. That's a separate issue. I don't care about them. Uh, And MMA, too, for that matter. Again, here you're going to find mainstream media journalists who don't like MMA and will criticize the fighters. That's irrelevant to me. And take any opportunity to have a go at him. Okay. uh, While not saying anything when he does something positive, like after 205, for example. Fair enough. Either here or there, what the mainstream journalists say in this particular case is irrelevant. You're right. If if he does something amazing, they'll ignore it. If he does something terrible, they'll say something terrible. Like the Mike Wilbons and the Tony Kornheisers and... You know, and they're, they're more talking heads at this point, but you get the idea. So it's sort of prominent media figures here that only focus in on MMA when there is something to uh, be angry about. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't care about these people, and neither should you, uh, at least insofar as this discussion is concerned. But I know, I know, uh, for some reason the Irish always feel picked on. I'm not sure why. I'm not picking on the Irish. They could have been, it could have been the Danes or the Brits or the, you know, the Swedes or whoever. Here's the reason why there should not be any confusion about this. As I clearly articulated, I didn't say that they hadn't. And I didn't say that they wouldn't. I just said that it need to be explicit. And the reason why is because it doesn't matter. A, you know that those national figures, while they still have some prominence, either in your country or mine, we're not worried about them because everyone sort of knows where they're coming from. And yes, they're powerful, but they're sort of beyond help at this point. The real key here is for the people who are native to those communities to say something and folks are like, well, I've never seen american fighters or people criticize american media for not criticizing american fighters right here's the truth of the matter when lance armstrong was doing what lance armstrong was doing before he got caught i mean you couldn't imagine how much american media was carrying water for this guy they went out of their way i mean he was a national hero and i realize connor doesn't quite occupy the same position in ireland because mma is obviously not quite the same thing as cycling uh in terms of you know how palatable it is to a wider array of audiences but uh nevertheless he is a national figure and he's a national celebrity and he is incurred in the current landscape of Irish sports, probably one of the most important, if not arguably the most important. Um, and I remember distinctly very very many, many, many years because Lance had transcended into this national figure, this national emblem in a way. Yes, of course, there were some people who were willing to criticize him, but there were a lot of people who would temper it all the time. Um, For any number of reasons and it's just true that if somebody becomes a powerful enough symbol, then they begin to take on the shape of the larger culture around them and they align themselves with everyone's broader set of identities and that makes criticizing them difficult to say nothing of the fact that if you really if you were in the media and you really slammed you know, John Kavanaugh or Conor McGregor or SBG, they wouldn't have any obligation to let you into their gym again or interview their guys. There could be a consequence to that. Now, in fairness to the Irish media, let's sort of call it what it is. I thought their response was excellent. I thought they did exactly what i hoped they would do. They needed to come down and condemn this and say it wasn't acceptable. And that's what they did. So shouts to them. Like I said, didn't say they hadn't, didn't say they wouldn't, said they needed to be unequivocal because they're the most important media group relative to that incident. If they don't condemn him, and and again, not like he's the worst person ever, but certainly calling those actions totally unacceptable for what they are, which is what they did, if they hadn't done that, that would be the most problematic thing because that would be his one bit of refuge he could look to and say well look if they're not going to condemn me then i must be in the right this is the shared community here it doesn't work that way they they if, if i go out and say hey conor mcgregor acted above the line people in ireland really care they don't care no one cares even if ariel i mean maybe they would care of ariel but even then that's still you know it's hard to know how much that would matter uh it's the other ones it's the ones in ireland those are the most important ones um the 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 indigenous indigenous irish mma media those are the ones that in relative to this situation frankly bear and they and again they handled it perfectly but they bear the greatest responsibility and it's just sort of true that um um if you go to like other countries you know it's true in this country it's true in america just not for fighting so i want to say this is true across the world for sport but in MMA, let's talk about that for just a second. You have some of these smaller countries that kind of have some prominent figures. They are somewhat, again, if, and I'm not even speaking about Ireland in this case. Let's let's leave Ireland. Let's talk about another place like Brazil. Um, I, I can't speak enough about Brazilian media, but I've just seen that there is a little bit of camaraderie between um, fighters from a certain country and their media. Now, not across the board, not in every case. There are obviously great media members in every country who don't use any kind of nationalism uh, in the breadth of their coverage. And, you know, Evie Rodriguez is a great example of that. She is just a tremendous reporter from Brazil, and there are many others. Um, Guillermo Cruz, I think, is one one like that as well. I think he has a very sober, clear uh, understanding of, um, you know, how to put any kind of national pride or a national shared identity to the side. But some other ones don't. And that's understandable. Um, It's a huge sport there. There are you. You just get sucked into this vortex of um, someone's power and celebrity and shared identity, crowding out criticism. Every single country, including this one, is susceptible to that in different ways and around different athletes. And MMA, MMA is so big here, but in many ways it's not. But um, I remember so distinctly Lance Armstrong. You know, really was this beneficiary of over-the-top, fawning, ridiculous coverage uh, that had nothing to do with anything other than he had become this national icon. And as a consequence, the media coverage was absurd about him. Totally absurd. Uh, And it will happen again here. I don't know who it's going to be, but it will happen again here. So when that happens, I would expect the Irish media and Brazilian media and Swedish media and Chinese media and whoever else to say the American media has a responsibility whenever x athlete steps up and has y fall or y disgraceful period to say you need to be the one to say something about this because they'd be absolutely right in doing that in that situation they were the most important and good for them they stood up and did their job did you guys see dan hardy's tweet about the apology It's kind of funny. He wrote, apologize at the start and finish of the statement, but put your real thoughts excuse in the middle. That's called an S sandwich. Dan Hardy. Hardy doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't sugarcoat, does he? Another question about Woodley versus Nate. I'm only going to finish it if it's new. How do you see the fight playing out? I mean, you know, it's possible Woodley could get knocked out it's, it, or submitted. Unlikely, but possible. I just think the physicality of it all would be too much. Tyron is going to be a heavy favorite, but would you, would you be surprised if Nate overwhelmed him with volume punches and got a decision in the end? Decision? Yeah, I'd be surprised. Stoppage, maybe. Uh, by the way, on your live watch party, someone says what you really enjoyed. Thank you all for watching. You said you were born in India, which is true. And your mother was an armenian uh are you part armenian yeah half um i don't know what you call that racially i did that 23 and me thing it's like oh your genes you know oh wait, i think i was like nine percent irish whatever that's supposed to mean i, mean, I don't know how what, what are you nine percent Irish? i mean i don't know what that means and like another 20 percent from the larger uk and then a bunch from you know, Mediterranean, Indo-European area, which would make sense, you know. Um, But I don't know what that racially, you know, I'm white. I mean, you know, I don't know what that equates to. Someone says, a simple question. If Connor continues his overacting and crazy antics, when will the UFC consider him a liability? And then someone replies, when he stops selling millions of pay-per-views, duh. The financial reward heavily outweighs any negative press for Connor sounds about right I just don't believe that Um, you know even his own manager came out and said it wasn't true it's like (laughs) you know here's a card we never announced you on that we're gonna take you off of and oh by the way your manager says not true okay Meat and Potatoes, Luke, what are the top three best fighters you would describe as very meat and potatoes-ish? Please choose wisely, and I, as many others, will become fans of this. This is sort of a weird question. Someone says Stipe. That's a good call. Um, in his prime, Chael Sonnen. Um, who's another one? Very meat and potatoes. So, so uh, in his prime, Chael Sonnen, Stipe Miocic. Again, meat and potatoes doesn't mean bad. It means they don't do a ton of different things, but what they do is very rock solid. Um, and who else was a good example of that? Let me see. I would not say Habib because there's a lot of sophistication to what he does, even more so. Um, think about the third one. There's less of these guys that these days. Do I want to say Chuck Liddell? I don't know. Randy Couture? I don't know. Because no, because they can do it all, actually. That's not fair. I don't know. I, I'd be one to take examples of a. okay we're back jesus christ you know what let me say something about this because this drives me absolutely crazy everyone's like yo what's up with your audio problems what's up with your video problems video problems Yo, comcast sucks so much i don't know how else to say this of these losers and their terrible internet connection there's nothing i can do about it because i washington dc and i'm in a certain neighborhood that doesn't allow me to get the upgraded version. I have the highest version of internet that you can literally buy in this neighborhood. And it's supposed to be Xfinity high speed, LOL, it's not. So if you literally moved, if I moved a mile and a half down the street and I was in a different neighborhood, I could get Verizon Fios super ridiculous blazing speed. I could get that, I cannot get that here. And so I have this God awful internet from these God awful internet providers and it drives me crazy i am so sorry about that i don't know what to do about it because the signal just goes out sometimes (laughs) it drives me it drives me up the wall but here we are so let's get back to it god damn that makes me angry all right hold on let's see this here oh lord what a mess yeah all right about mighty mouse god damn it get to the point where Dillshaw's demands outweigh mouse's accomplishments well first of all as i understand it and let me pull this up to make sure i don't lose anything he the fight's not made Like, he's not overrunning him. And I have spoken to Demetrius. He was on my show on the Friday before UFC 217. That is where he showed me the mousetrap. And and if you guys, I know some people are like, oh, I don't believe you. Ask Demetrius. Uh, I encourage you to ask him, as a matter of fact. There. His basic point was, I'm happy to go to Bantamweight if I'm going to get more money to do it. But if not, I'm happy to stay at Flyweight so i don't know that he's going to get more money on terms of what his contract i mean he might get more from pay-per-view points or however it works but he's not going to get more if he even still gets them but he's not going to get more the flat fee so that leaves it the choice to tj now tj has expressed a willingness to try it so he might go down but the real issue here is that Sergio Pettis probably deserves the next shot depending on how things go and even that's not necessarily all that true um but on if you're a champion just 10 pounds up and you can make the weight no problem real super strong case to make for a number one contender and i'm sorry there's not i don't know that it's outrageous to give that guy a title shot especially number one if there could be some fan demand behind it and two real test was and and the truth of demetrius's career is that um, at 135, he was super capable, but he was ultimately outsized. He was just outsized. It, it, you know, Dominic Cruz on the feet was relatively even with him, uh, but when he just went to the wrestling, there was only so much that Demetrius could do about it. And so the question is, what if you get a guy who is that frame, but then cuts that weight to go down to 125, how much of that is mitigated? How much of this is more of an even, almost pound for pound fight in that kind of way? Um, Again, without if someone is drained, then it's not pound for pound. But you get what I'm I'm driving at here. So, to me, it's like you have a much more interesting champion who's wanting to work his way into that weight class at least temporarily. Now, if you want to make a case or an argument about um, I don't want one guy holding two belts because that would be problematic. Fine, that's that's a that's a good argument. Not you know to to potentially make it, but I don't know that TJ is like arm twisting anybody into it effectively. We might get there, but up. Um, so if a guy wants to go down and he's the champion of that weight class, and that potentially, set, I mean, you can just sort of look at the ingredients for why that would be a uniquely compelling contest, and it'd be a champion versus champion in that sense. Um, fairly good reasons to do it. Do it. Someone says, he's got challenges at 125, Cejudo and Pettis for starters. If he doesn't want to move up, then TJ can do something else. Mouse doesn't owe that guy anything. A lot of great challenges for TJ in his own division. That guy has been champion for like five minutes now. Also true. So if you're not into it, that's fine. I don't have any issue with it. But um, God, I hate Comcast so much. If Bill Shaw agrees to this fight at 125 and Mighty Mouse refuses again and writes, that is ducking plain and simple. TJ is the toughest fight available for DJ right now, period. Know that. But yes, there's reason to think that might be true. I can see why DJ would prefer an easier fight, but come on. If he refuses to fight under these circumstances, full camp, promotional backing, TJ is a champ and likely the most lucrative option, that will absolutely affect how people view him. Credit to DJ Borg had nothing for him, and I expect nothing different if he fights Pettis Sahudo, right? But if you're if you're DJ, have to make a calculation as well in your head about what it is you want. He's honest. He's going there to win as easy as possible and take as little damage as possible, right? And to make as much money. That kind of approach—that's really what he's into. So I don't know how much he cares if he is or isn't ducking if he's fighting top contenders. Who are natural flyweights that might be in what he wants um uh, totally satisfactory i mean like the, the interesting part about i think dj and i don't know this to be true but my hunch is there was a time where he was a little bit unsettled by the idea that he wasn't turning into some kind of promotional darling that um not that ever, i'm not saying he was losing sleep at night but there might have been some kind of confusion about what it meant and how he got to that position and and what it told him about himself and i think now we're in a bit of a different spot which is he has sort of with it he has somewhat made peace with it and as a consequence um through that piece he is not really willing to put himself through unnecessary risk if you make it worth his financial reward uh sure just about anything if you make it worth his while but he has a sense about what he wants to do in the what he doesn't want to do and what the price tag for that is and so either you make that or you don't but if you guys want to sit there and browbeat him and and i've done it too i mean i'm not above it uh so i'll just say if we want to browbeat him i don't know how responsive to that he is i think that's a big fight for him to take i would love for him to take it on a value to him given his value set i don't know what is now the part about see he's trying to build through that win streak He might believe that he can just keep fighting top contenders, and as long as that win streak stays alive against top contenders, that by hook or by crook, he'll go down as either the best ever or one of the best and easily enter the UFC Hall of Fame and and doesn't have to expose himself to additional risk. Again, this gets back to the conversation about to what extent do you want fighters to retain matchmaking control? Because you all want them to get paid. You all want them to have health insurance, some kind of retirement help, something. You want to make their lives and their experience in this sport worth it. But do you really want to leave all those decisions to them? you really want the uh, Patriots to have a total choice over who they play? Set that and just force them to go through the schedule. Something to be said for that. God, I can't stand Comcast. A lot of names here today for fighters. Team Mighty Mouse. Everyone is acting like TJ is the next. I don't know what that means. Because he weighs 10 pounds more. It's pathetic. Next coming of what? Uh, DJ is way more impressive than TJ to me. At least DJ never lost his title to a guy who was injured for half a decade. That is, that is something. Uh, okay, look, look how much debate there is over TJ versus DJ. There's obviously a lot more interest in that fight. Are people really debating DJ versus Pettis that much? DJ versus Cejudo too, maybe. But there's just a lot of debate, and when there's a lot of debate. And I mean, that's what the fight game about, right? I think X, you think Y, let's figure it out. And the only way to really know is to have him fight it out. And so that nat this, this this fight naturally brings about that kind of reaction from people. So I think on those grounds, uh, I hope the UFC can make. But as involved, you know, we'll see. Back to the same thing. I wouldn't call this fighter malaise. DJ's perfectly willing to compete, but you know, look at look at how much easier it used to be. Yes. They said yes because they felt either strong-armed. They said yes because they were trying to hold up this, this code of I'm a fighter. If you if the, the more you say no, the more you show weakness, right? Just this willingness to not show weakness for so many years. And as soon as fighters realized that they were actually showing strength through saying no, it just went, you know, the whole thing kind of almost it collapsed but has shown serious weaknesses. Out of Bisping's career, Luke, what are your what are your brief initial thoughts on the Bisping Gastelum matchup? I was pretty shocked when it was first announced. And then two, assuming Bisping gets his wish for a retirement fight in London next year, who would you like to see him fight? Quote, I see you soon, boy. <laughs> or not? Quote. I'm sorry. Hashtag. Uh, brief initial thoughts on Bisping Gastelum matchup. One, um, you know, the old Bisping is back. The guy who would just take on any challenge, basically any place. Is it- Tough bastard, man. He really is maybe the toughest guy that we've ever covered. He is a different, a totally different breed. He mentally I just never seen a guy like that in my life. i never seen a guy who's just so unafraid of challenge. Now, again, when he took the title, he might have had some relative to you know what was out there. But you know, when he was a contender and is a contender again, or you know, contender, whatever. He is, uh, man, he he fights tough guys. You know, I thought Nate Marquardt was done for. And again, I certainly think he's in the twilight of his career. But he looked pretty good for the most part against Hesar Vajera. He lost, but he had moments. Looked like he was a a done man against Kelvin Gastelum. Kelvin Gastelum has a way of just making guys, Chris Weidman notwithstanding, look bad. Um, Look, I mean, my sense is, from michael but he's so close to the end the stated end that show in march in london he's so close to that you know i don't really know i i do i think it's medically sound that he's having a turnaround in three weeks no i guess i don't if he can pass those tests what can you really say um get But at the same time it's like whatever damage has been done to him i mean it's already there you know how much you really adding at this point maybe you'll add a lot maybe you won't but now is the time to worry about about that kind of thing you know now's the time to just let him not let him do whatever he wants but i think to be a little bit lenient and again desperate times call for desperate measures right so so that's partly my view is like on the one hand i get i'm a little bit uneasy about it on the other hand it's like whatever's there is already is already there Um, so why worry about it too much? Slim is a, you know, I don't know. He's not a natural middleweight man, but I don't know if he needs to be. He's talented enough to give guys problems and, you know, we'll see how it goes against Bisping. I don't know. Uh, retirement fight, either Vitor or Yoel. Not be like an easy fight for him, but I don't really care because those are the fun fights that has made him who he is and. He would be competitive, I think, in both of those. Maybe not so much against well, especially if it takes a bad beating against Gastelum. But, yeah. Diaz versus Woodley in the UFC's master plan. All right? Maybe it's in the... (laughs) Maybe it's the Wake and Bake talking. What's that? It's like, you know, I'm high, but hear me out. Donuts are God's gift to us for... You know, making all the streets paved in a city. It's like, yeah, you are high. It's the way they can bake talking. Here we go. To think that the UFC is putting Diaz up against Woodley in the hopes that Diaz wins, setting up the biggest fight in UFC history, Diaz versus McGregor three champ versus champ at 170. For Connor's third belt, certainly that it seems like a possibility that might be in the back of their mind, but I seriously doubt they're trying to engineer that. I don't think Diaz, uh, as gifted as a talent as he may be, is going to be the favorite in this. Again, he can win, certainly he can win, but want to do that, if you had a pretty strong sense that you could reasonably achieve that outcome, I don't know that they think they can achieve that outcome. So, Tower Seven. I hate to tell you all that that is not couldn't rule it out but if you're listing reasons why they're making this fight that's probably somewhere or you know the benefits of making this fight anyway that's probably somewhere towards the very very bottom of the list but i hope the wake and bake was fun right this being versus gastelum might take this fight who wins what do you guys have to say about it let me read a couple of these responses Quote, the fight shouldn't be sanctioned, this person writes. Bisping's loss was practically a TKO and had another ref been in there and stopped. Nobody would have complained. The fact that GSP took his back and choked him for the finish doesn't negate the fact that he did it after dropping him and elbowing 15 times. Him being choked out is of zero concern to me. The elbows are what was the concern to me. The jabs he took, those were the concerns to me. The getting choked out, I've told you this before, I can tell you a team in New York, I've said it many times, is a true thing. It's a totally true thing. There are savages up there. They have a rule: no tapping to chokes, uh, and they're all fine. I don't. I don't think that's a. I don't think, you know, having a blase attitude about conscious is part of the Hippocratic oath. I'm listing my concerns, the fact that he got choked unconscious, fairly low on that list. Fairly low on that list. The the, the elbows, the the hard Superman jab, or what all the other stuff he took. That stuff is the stuff that worries me. Someone says, Bisping wants two more paydays rather than just one. Seems to make sense. He knows he won't go on another championship run, so it's just one more night. Uh, against a blown-up welterweight like Gaslam is probably a good risk, as Bisping might lose, but I don't see it being a devastating as GSP loss. Even if he does, and win or lose, it doesn't stop him from having a final send-off fight in the UK next year. It's Kevin rocked Weidman pretty hard and was saved by the bell. And he was forced to use his huge size in wrestling. Weidman forced to use his huge size in wrestling to overcome Kevin. Bisping could not handle a welterweight in GSP. Well, not quite a welterweight. Uh, I don't think that Bisping can do to Kevin what Weidman did. So I don't think his chances are that good. The hand speed of Kelvin is something else. says, end the misery. Sanchez and BJ Penn at lightweight. Loser goes home, retired. Can you imagine how sad that fight would be? Donk City and Mario Odysseus. Yes, everyone and their brother has told me about it. Uh, BJ Penn and Diego, I don't. BJ Penn fight again. And Diego, I'd be okay with like one more. But that's about it, man. I do not need to see that. Uh, Exclusive on Twitter, Luke. Oh, no. Can you promise us donkeys you will remain loyal? Oh, you mean like taking this off and putting it on Twitter? I don't think they're going to do that. Don't worry about that. This is like good for the YouTube channel. It's like, don't worry, it's fine. Uh someone says SB Nation is taking all of Luke's YouTube content. What is up with that? That's not true either. I did one, I did one live chat for them. Not live chat, excuse me. Um, Post fight show. Um, My channel. And they're not doing that. They're giving me a platform to be on here to begin with, so. So oh, two question. Running, I can never tell anymore. Did the UFC make the right call going with Aldo? What adjustments do you think he needs to make to win? Um That's a great question man i had cups once on my show i think you heard him on aerials as well you know let me, let me say one thing about what cub told me that really kind of resonated with me he was like look man look what i've done first of all, he's in a four-fight win streak but more than that he's like you know i have gone out there and i have fought injured i have fought you know every of this earth big cards small cards you know whoever they needed me against i've done it i have put on stellar performances and here's what he said that really stuck with me because i i understand where he's coming from but he's fundamentally got it wrong and this and he said this he goes, I just want the UFC to show me show me like a goodwill gesture for all of my many contributions to them and for them. And that sounds real nice. It's like I did a solid for you, do a solid for me. But I just have to tell you, I just don't think that's the way this works. It, it should work that way. God, it'd be nice if it worked that way because you want to see somebody like Cub. You know, he's right. He has done all the things he said he's done. He has entertain f- fans a- across the world and year after year and showing up and you know, never missing weight and things like that. I mean, Cub is a professional's professional. He's a fighter's fighter and he's a fan's fighter too. Not a lot of guys you can say that about. He's a smart guy too. He's got his own side business and everything. He's got a new baby girl. I mean, this is a guy who's living life in a way um, and he's looking for a little bit of financial security in the last chapter of his career, but asking, asking a corporation, asking another entity in this kind of business r- arrangement for a goodwill gesture if you're asking for a goodwill gesture then they're going to give you a very moderate to very minimal increase if you want what you want you have to find a way to make them bend and if you can't make them bend then that's the world you live in and it sucks and it's hard to accept that people don't believe that Uh, they don't want to believe it's true they want to believe business should work in a way where like i do you a solid you do me a solid I, i i wish It worked that way for him. I really do because I would love to see him get the contract that he's looking for. He told me they did make him a decent to generous offer. Um, It just wasn't the kind of contract he was looking for in terms of financial security. So, just as sort of a lesson to everyone out there, if you can't make the person or entity or whatever, unless it's your friend or your dad or something, you know, if you're involved in a family business, but if you're dealing with a stranger, or you know uh, uh, some kind of entity in, in, in that way. If you can't make them bend, then getting what you're looking for are very very slim. Um, it's just a reality we all have to face. It's he's he's not he's a, not exempt from it. I'm not exempt from it. You're not exempt from it. Nobody is. You know it's, it's it's the way of the world. Okay, that's the first thing I would say. Second of all, there was a real logistical concern here. If you removed Cub from the Ortega fight, which also is in December, I think December seventh who are you going to replace them with robbing peter to pay paul aldo had no fight fight but um a problem down the road they could they have time to address that anyway so change the headliner for um december i believe not the 7th because the first fight's on the second yeah that's right so there was that part the other part was that yeah that you know um Cub tells me that he broke his hand and his jaw, and the reason why he tapped was because the pain was, it hit his pain threshold, and he just couldn't take anyone when he had that guillotine. And, you know, when Cub talks about pain thresholds, I um, believe him. But um, the larger point here is that I just think that, um, you know, former champ, there was, I, I had noticed this. I had noticed that when this fight was made, or not made, I'm sorry, when it, when it was rumored that it was either going to be Aldo, no, sorry that edgar was out and aldo had thrown his hat into the ring Aldo had said hey i want to be considered for this too guys put me in coach there were a lot of folks who were saying you know oh i don't and to me look neither cub nor aldo deserve that fight that fight but Frankie yeager can't fight so now you have to grade on a curve and if you're grading on a curve is not meaningfully stronger or weaker than the case for Aldo, other than the logistical concerns about that main event. I know that um, Champ, and that's works to his benefit, but he just lost to him. He got stopped by him. You know, there's not a really powerful case to make. You can make a different case that, you know, since losing the way he did, um, Cub has gotten a lot better. And as I mentioned, it was on a four fight win streak. You can at least say there's been some rehabilitation or, you know, improvement. Uh, but here's the reality I, I, the people who are like, oh, LOL, Aldo, you sit down. Uh, every time where if two guys have a beef and not just in a fight, but they have a larger dispute about, who the other person is and when they 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 badmouth their character and their team and their country and their choices and their experiences and then they fight if one person wins they get to define reality for everybody aldo has been maligned in the same way that tj was prior to the garbrandt fight you know by uh his his beef with connor mcgregor and i you know i don't really care that connor did all that he's selling a fight and he's you know Wants to do and can do there's nothing wrong with that but the rest of us have a responsibility to realize just because connor won the fight does not mean that everything he said about aldo is necessarily true uh and vice versa doesn't mean everything he said is necessarily false either my point being is just because you win or lose a fight that shouldn't adjudicate beef that they had where winner up oh, everything he said must have been right loser oh, everything he said must have been wrong maybe garbrandt and team alpha mill have a point about tj maybe tj has a point about them it's a little bit more complicated than just i'm gonna let the winner define everything because i can tell you the aldo who beat mike brown and the aldo who beat pequeno naguera and the aldo who beat a lot of those guys was beloved in the sport you cannot imagine the fever pitch excitement when the ufc put on that weird goofy pay-per-view or whatever it was i don't think it was a pay-per-view anymore between when they had aldo fight uriah you know and they had the weird blue gloves and I, i you could not imagine the palpable excitement for this guy and over time yes he has done some things you know pulling out of fights and you know saying weird things like, no, I didn't think the fight was close when it was quite obviously close. Sure, he's pissed off some people. He deserves some criticism. He deserves to have, you know, some people not be all that interested in him. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, just be careful about why you examine things. If you want to think Cub was the guy who did get the fight, sure, no problem. I don't have an issue with that. And if you want to think that Aldo was or even wasn't the guy, that's fine. You can make a really, it's not a meaningfully more powerful case with one guy over the other. The only thing I object to was that, clearly doesn't deserve this because you know you know well I guess he called Habib a pull-out merchant or just you know whatever just don't let don't let the dispute about a fight and then letting the winner define reality reality is always much more complicated if you're a little bit ho-hum on Jose cool but I don't know that he's worthy of the kind of dismissiveness that I saw Uh, why did you part ways with Bloody Elbow? That's a weird question. found out you were their first writer. Excuse me. I only found out you were the first writer there. So I'm sorry if the question was answered before. Um, <laughs> uh, here's how it worked. Um, Bloody Elbow was founded, I think my participation started around February of 2007. I had my own before that. Um, but... Yeah, i didn't nor there uh so around february 2007 uh, nate wilcox who was st- currently still there asked me to take over for it and i did he eventually came back on board i'm not i'm not really sure when um until about i don't i want to say 2000 sometime around 2011 or so so 2007 8 9 10 11. so about five years i was there it's funny i used to be like known for bloody elbow now some people don't even know i was there um so eventually what happened is I got hired by, at the time I was I was part-time with SB Nation the whole time, and then eventually I got a full-time offer. So after about five years, I got a full-time offer, and uh, then I went to SBNation.com because they didn't really have much of an MMA presence and they were really growing it. And then eventually we created something very, 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 very briefly called MMA Nation, and it was me, Nate Wilcox, Jonathan Snowden, and then Tommy Myers, who runs MMA Mania. And we were only operational for a few months. This was not something that, that wasn't very... And it didn't go all that great either, to be honest. But um, AOL put up MMA Fighting for sale. And then SB Nation, who had many, many former AOL employees work there, uh, they bought it. The rest is history. Then at that point, I transitioned because I, was, I had left Bloody Elbow and I was already at SB Nation. I had just sort of uh, transitioned over MMA Fighting and then took on an editor role and it's changed over the years as well too, but that's how it works. So the reason I left was because uh, they gave me a full time offer to go to the mothership. I uh, have nothing but respectability, although it's my first love. I read it every day and they do consistently great work. Uh, oh, good question. Bellator heavyweight tournament. So word is Mir Fedor is being targeted. Who do you think would win that one? Hard to say who on that one, but probably Mir. Concerns about being matched up with son and Bader, Lawal, Mitrion, and Nelson are also on it. play matchmaker. Which fight would you most like want to see and which one would bore you a lot? Rampage versus Chael, I agree. I wouldn't want to see that one either. Nor Rampage versus Bader. Rampage versus Lawal. It's kind of hard. I could do Rampage versus Nelson, Mitrion, Bader. Lawal Chale, but Lawal and Chale are boys I don't know if they'd ever fight but Mir Fedor is the one that I love the most I think that, that's that been a fight that I I debated uh, it would be irrelevant now because they're two totally different people I thought years ago Frank Mir when he was beating like the Czech Congress of the world in the way that he was I thought he would beat Fedor and I remember arguing with uh, Seth Smith and Ryan Hall about it I thought I was crazy and maybe they're right maybe they're wrong there's no way to know now because they're both completely different fighters but I'm excited to see that one <laughs> Uh, and I gotta be honest, I'm excited about that tournament. I don't know how you guys feel about it. This is not as good as strike force Heavyweight Grand Prix, not even by a long shot. But I remember everyone coming out and going, I don't know about this tournament. And yeah, some of the fights didn't work out the way we wanted to. We didn't get the Uber and an alternate one, but it produced a lot of really good fights. It told us a lot. It was interesting. It was fun. It was different. It was experimental. And again, I'm not going to bring the lessons. I'm not going to bring the same mistakes from my strike force coverage into my Bellator coverage. I'm not going to present this to you, again, as good as the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix, because it's not. But I'm also, at, uh, it's, you know, contemptible, worthy of scorn. I find it interesting. I love that there's so many light heavyweights competing as heavyweights. I'm glad that we're finally going to get a mere fatal fight, if in fact we do. Uh, and I'm excited about it. And if they have to have some replacements, they have to have some replacements. But they're trying something. And it promises to be fun, and that's all I'm really expecting. So it's two fifteen, so let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Uh, I'm on L Thomas News on Twitter, and uh, you can use the hashtag #ChatRappers, and I will answer your questions. <laughs> the UFC continues to have difficulties because they book fights and venues separately. Crazy that they scheduled Perth without being sure Whitaker could be on the card. Yeah. Right? I've told you before. The guys who make the fights and the guys who don't work together very often, I'm told. I'm told it's a separate process. And so, here we are. Hey, we're going to go to Perth. It's like, puts you in a real difficult position to, to make effective. Am I the only one excited for Brian Ortega versus Cups Watson? No, definitely not. I mean, that's a great fight. There's nothing wrong with that fight. It's just that they needed a replacement for Max Holloway. But yeah, Brian Ortega versus cup Swanson. Oh, that's a sick fight. I'm very, very excited for that one. If BS takes the 170-pound strap from Woodley, is it a trilogy fight with Conor McGregor for the welterweight championship? A virtual certainty at that point? Yeah. Oh, Nate gets it done. How <laughs> Would you not do that? You would have to do that. A fighter would you be pro union, pro Ali act, or a scab? LOL JK, hard to say because that in many ways is the most beneficial from the fighter standpoint. But if you're asking me my position now, most pro union. So, when was the last time Aldo fought two times in one year? I'm just happy he's fighting two times in a year. Well, let's check. so wiki um he fought in twice in a year all right so let's see since wec days twice in 2008 can you believe this he fought four times in 2009 but three of those fights were first round stoppages and one of them was an 8 second ko against cub twice in 2010 twice in 2011 once in 2012, 13, twice in 2014, once in 2015, once in 2016, and twice in 2017. So it's been since 2014, basically. Uh, okay, we continue. Thoughts on Terry Crews naming a WME employee as a sexual assaulter? I don't know anything about that, but that sounds bad. That, that sounds bad. Going to come in every place, right? There, some isolated incident. In foil hat time. Okay, it's going to be Nick fighting Woodley for the title. Nate's social media post is just a smokescreen for Nick's long-awaited comeback. Okay, nah, don't think so. I know we all want Nick to come back, but a while for that. Do you know the extent to which Valentina Shevchenko was involved in Rose's training camp? They're on-again, off-again training partners for more than just one camp. I know Shevchenko has had Rose in her camp. I know Rose has had Shevchenko in her camp. So um, I would call them fairly important training partners, but not just for one camp, um, multiple camps. They've done it back and forth, I think, a number of times. So they've been training together for, I think, a, a year or more, um, a while. It's, it's a It's a substantive relationship. Standing rows with straight bar, easy bar, landmine, dumbbells. What's your favorite row variation? I am so glad you asked that. Um, Do you guys know who Kaylor Woolam is? Kaylor Woolam is the deadlift god. You look at this guy. He actually works at a grocery store. That's really his job. I'm not kidding. And he looks obviously like somebody who lifts weights, but he's not super big. He doesn't have super big legs, doesn't have super big arms. He is the deadlift god. At 200, and I want to say 20 pounds... Maybe two hundred eighteen. I have to go back and look at the actual number value. Um, he deadlifted over the weekend at Reebok Record Breakers nine hundred and twenty eight pounds. Now he did it sumo style, but he's done nearly nine hundred pounds conventional as well. He did eight eighty one in competition, and that was including competition that wasn't deadlift only. It was uh, bench and squat. So you can imagine conventional he can pull nine hundred as well. Uh, he did nine twenty eight. He beat his other record at nine twenty seven. At I think two hundred and twenty pounds body weight that is insane that is completely completely insane he has a ridiculous he does it by the way uh raw so he only he had was a belt and a hook grip so that means he had no straps on his hands a hook grip is when you put the pad of your thumb on the bar and then your fingers come over it. it's a way so you can keep double overhand because a lot of people deadlift grip, and, and that's the reason why is because if you alternate the grip however much this one slips, it locks it into place together because of the way in which the hands roll opposite. But it creates, uh, it can create an imbalance, a muscular imbalance if you do it over time. So Kaylor Wollum, double overhand, goes and yanks 928. So where is all this going? He has this bit where what he does is for shrugs and rows, and he uses a little bit of body English. So it's not a strict form. He's kind of muscling it a little bit, but he tries to row however much he can uh deadlift and he sets it up from a deadlift position so he gets to the platform he'll put on if he can you know if he can deadlift you know let's say 900 he'll put on 550 on the bar and with a little bit of body english so again it's not super it's not like a pendlay row where you have strict form he's using a little bit of body english and he'll row that weight to where he'll start from a deadlift he'll deadlift it up then the bar goes down to the mid shin and then he rows I've been trying that for about a couple of months now. It More than that now. It is awesome. Your deadlift will blow up on that uh, if that's what you're trying to do. If you're just trying to get some size, then you can just do dumbbell rows. Just remember to J-hook at the end. Um, I don't like the machine where you put your feet up and you put your chest on it and you just do this. I don't feel like you get enough lat engagement. and I feel like if you really want to work on your strength and your lower back strength and your erectors, um, you know, mixing and pull-ups, you have to do that as well, but try the, try that, just setting up like a deadlift, significant weight, like 60, 70% of your one rep max and then ends and then just start and just start rowing it and make sure to get, pull the lat out so you can feel it. It's awesome. It's super awesome. And Kayla Willem was the one who, uh, showed that. Would you favor Dustin Poirier over Gechi Barboza, Habib or T Ferg? If they were to fight, or is he at his ceiling? HE, if he fought smart, yes. Barbosa, he can beat all those guys if he fights up to his potential. The question is, will he do that? Habib, I don't know. He's a bit of a different animal. Same with Tony Ferguson, but a bad dude, man. And that was a great fight he had. apology in five months by McGregor. First, the racist comment, then a homophobic slur, and now this. He needs to grow up and realize everything isn't about him. He isn't solely to blame for his recent conduct. The UFC also deserves blame. I would say it's, you know, about him instead of John Jones. Live a life in a public way when you're 28 and you're rich. Loves you. So, again, I don't need an apology, and I didn't need any of those apologies. Apologies, they don't mean anything to me. And even if even if he was sincere, that's cool. Just don't do that, and we're good. Don't need an apology. In the age of money fights, why not pursue celebrity MMA matches? Because I'd rather die. You'll see Oscar De La Hoya. You know what's amazing about Conor McGregor is that he brings out the best in himself, and he brings out the best in his teammates. He brings out really the you know, in many ways, the best out of his competitors. So I'm not going to blame him for this, but he because he's so powerful and because he crossed over he also brings out the desperate his fault he didn't ask for that but you know you get De La Hoya out there I can beat him in two rounds like oh my god De La Hoya please what are you doing what are you doing this looks so bad this looks so bad he it's amazing that these boxers like who hate promoters then become promoters and then become everything they hated about promoters it's like is there any way to promote like this without becoming disreputable character i I don't know i mean mean, maybe if i did it i would become the exact same way it's like it's just part of the job but jesus christ it was like it was it just it was pathetic it was it was pathetic uh and it really yeah Underrated Arnold flick. Take your pick. Eraser versus True Lies. End of Days versus The Last Stand. Uh, End of Days is a terrible movie, but if the choice is that or The Last Stand, then I'll go with End of Days. Is there anything in MMA you wouldn't write about due to morals and ethics? What would it be? Anything's off limits, right? Or something. Can UFC write a fighter contract where it says you will have to take all the fights we offer you? No, because they're not employees. But do you think if there were a rule that a title holder uh, would have to take a low-ranked opponent once every one and a half years? I don't know that that would work. But if there was some kind of lottery system, you know, five wins against unranked opponents and couldn't get one, you could enter into some sort of lottery, that would be cool. promote a horrible product in your show talking about how great it was if you were paid enough depends on the payment but if someone was like hey we need you to promote you know device that didn't work at all and they paid me like 10 million dollars to do it yeah i consider (laughs) lying to you all but under the normal circumstances of which my life is which is that i wouldn't even get the opportunity to promote anything i wouldn't worry too much on UFC not doing the big conferences like Go Big or Unstoppable. Let's see what they do next year. Continues. I don't know that that's officially stopped. Comment that the UFC did a great job honoring vets in Norfolk, as you know, a major military city on Veterans Day. Uh, Your thoughts on Dana White going off on Colin Coward and if it's an indication of the future of UFC's TV deals. Yeah, that was interesting. My sense is that both UFC and Fox know they need each other. But I think Fox still has a bad taste in their mouth about not being able to buy them and own them. Remember, because they put in a bid as well for three plus billion dollars, and they couldn't get it. Um, percent of Fox sports content is UFC related. How are you going to replace that? It's just not going to be possible, but the UFC is going to want a significant bump in pay. And so uh, I guess we're going to see how that goes. You know, I've heard, I've not heard anything specific, so I'm not going to tell you this, but I, I can't tell you how many people I talk to in the industry and all of them and this is public too. Cons- All right. For example, consider what Bob Aram said. Remember, Bob Aram was like, Yeah, they wanted, you know, it's a failing business. Well, it's not a failing business, but he was like, And, you know, negotiations aren't going well with their television partner. You hear that, and I've heard other people repeat it. Um, you have to wonder about the state of that. Again, I think ultimately there'll probably be some kind of continued presence on Fox. But, like, just think about it logically. What does ESPN want? ESPN wants is to have Connor. ESPN would be like, you give us Connor on network and we'll pay you significant amounts of money. And think about how big the television ratings for that would be. Think about how awesome for MMA that would be. You have your number one pay-per-view star competing on live, call it free, but you know, more or less free TV. Uh, boy, that would be tremendous. Could they do that? Would they be willing to make that kind of sacrifice? It's kind of an interesting thing to consider, but um, that's what that's what they want. ESPN doesn't have room to take all that inventory. UFC wants to give all of their stuff to Fox Sports that they can give to somebody else, but I don't think the other partners want anything. That's not the super high echelon stuff. So, what are you going to do? How are you going to How are you going to square that circle? It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, do you think the UFC is allowing Conor to do everything that he has? e.g. boxing and a possible willingness to co-promote as a way to kill unions and possible reclassification as employees become one star you co-promote with is a lesser evil long-term. Could be. Uh, Which, what MMA fight do you consider to be one of the most complete striking displays you can remember? Ease, that's a tough one. Versus Barbosa was a good one, but even those are all different. Um, Dillashaw versus another one um they're like clinch fighting you know silver versus frankly i don't know if there's just one you have to combine it because there's so many different dimensions and then aldo versus faber ones where you can sort of see the different elements and different layers in play who's more annoying cowboy fans knicks fans miami fans or mcgregor fans uh this is an easy call Cowboy fans are scum of the earth and their owner is scum of the earth and their stadium is scum of the earth and they are all disreputable creeps. F the Cowboys now and forever. Uh, last one, any rumors about who will be on the fight night card in Charlotte, at the end of January. I do not have any last one. Are you planning on wa- streaming any more watch parties? Yes, but not right away. There's some things that need to change. The traffic was good for it, but the ad rev was terrible. And i'm i need to fix the shooting location i need to fix a lot of the technological stuff so yes the answer is yes but not right away we're gonna have to figure that out thank you guys so much for watching i, I really appreciate it i'm sorry for the light, late start and the terrible stream issues you can go complain to comcast because i don't know what to tell you otherwise beyond that i'm actually now tethering off my phone this is actually this is what is powering the internet right here because so reliable uh, email me, news at gmail.com with t-shirt ideas or feedback. Um, let's see what's going to happen this weekend. UFC Sydney coverage, MMA beat tomorrow, lots of good stuff. So subscribe to MMA Fighting, like the video, and until next time, stay frosty.